other things that we have an influence on, such as pain and inflammation, um, and some of the, even the drugs we use can also affect progression of cancer around this mm. time. So in the time to hopefully cure it, we put, could potentially be um, spreading some tumors and have tumor cells in the circulation and then potentially be um, promoting distant metastases. Welcome to episode 56 of the Upsangani Quick Care Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This week is part one in a two-part series on the fascinating topic of onchoanesthesia. Dr. Mark Johnson is the guest on the show this week. He uh, is a colleague and recently gave our department a very interesting talk uh, entitled The Ten Commandments of Onchoanesthesia. Um, this episode we're going to concentrate on what is onchoanesthesia and the background to it as well as the first five um, commandments or topics of interest. Uh, be sure to join us for the second part which should be released uh, within one or two weeks following this episode. Um, Mark, do you want to explain to the listeners um, or introduce yourself, explain how you got involved in this and then maybe just uh, because some people probably never even heard of onchoanesthesia what it's all about and what the theories behind it is before we start talking about the, the sort of more detailed stuff. Absolutely. Um, thanks for having me along, Roger. It's, um, it's an honour. So, quick background on myself. I'm an Irish-trained specialist anaesthetist or anaesthesiologist, as we have changed it. Um, I have a particular interest in oncological anaesthesia, clinical research, um, obstetric anaesthesia and regional anaesthesia, a lot of which feed into the onco-anaesthesia sphere. So first of all, to talk about what we do and why I and we as a group have become more interested in oncological anesthesia, that a lot of what we do as anesthetists is anesthetize people for cancer surgery. Cancer is one of the, yeah. one of the biggest killers in, in modern day times and a, an awful lot of our workload is caring for patients with cancer. So around the time of an operation, we all th- we all hope for a cure of the cancer or at least um, setting it back in its tracks. However, the perioperative time can be a uniquely um, potentially worse time in terms of um, enhancing cancer progression. For a start, the tumor itself is handled by the surgeon, and this can release cells into the circulation in the circulation system and also into the lymphatics. There's um, also at the time there's release of growth factors, a drop in anti-angiogenic factors and release of other um, factors that can actually promote the spread of cancer. Um, Other things that we have an influence on such as pain and inflammation um, and some of the even the drugs we use can also affect progression of cancer around this Mm. time. So in the time to hopefully cure it we put, could potentially be um, spreading some tumors and have tumor cells in the circulation and then potentially be um, promoting distant metastases and the field of oncological anesthesia or oncoanesthesia is to set to create a um, a way of working with anesthesia that we can do our best to inhibit the spread um, by optimizing the patient factors, surgical factors, and also some um, potentially uh, pharmacological factors that can improve outcomes. Okay, it's, it's fascinating. And um, <clears throat> tell me a little bit about how you got involved, because I know that there's a 
um, I don't know a lot, but I know that there's quite a lot of research being done back uh, uh, in Dublin where, you, uh, where you've done a lot of your um, training and work. Is that right? Yes, that's right. The... Tell us a bit about that. That sounds fascinating. That's it. So the, the Matter Hospital in Dublin um, and UCD are one of the leading laboratories and uh, clinical research units in this area. Professor Donald Buggy was uh, one of the um, chief investigators of kind of the seminal paper in this area, which was a 2006 paper looking at improving um, disease-free survival in breast patients who had received yep. uh, paravertebral propofol over traditional volatile and opioid um, anesthesia. And uh, Professor Buggy or Donal has been a leading light in this area and he has been an advocate to subspecialise in this area and they've started a fellowship programme back, back in Ireland. They also uh, do a lot of preclinical work there as well. The UCD Conway Institute has and the um, associated UCD um, university facilities have have in vitro so cell work and also yep. um, I was involved in setting up the animal trials as well so looking at in vivo or um, looking at various um, various pharmacological interventions that we could make on animals with cancer and looking at um, improving outcomes that way and hopefully getting a bit of data or evidence behind what we do before um, and to use in planning human trials. Yeah, <clears throat> so my understanding, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, is that there's a lot of um, building evidence, but it's uh, that, that some of the things that we do do make a difference, um, but we're still in the process of sort of accumulating that sort of final uh, human level sort of randomized trial level sort of data which convincingly change our practice is that right so there's not that's well, I guess it. you're going yeah. to touch on some yeah. of this with all these things so there's a lot of it's a lot of unanswered questions yet but lots every study seems to ask more questions than it answers and yeah it, it's it, definitely it, a thing that, isn't it that's certainly certainly true and it's 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 fairly it's quite plausible that what we do for a number of hours and a single intervention may have very uh, little to no influence on outcomes in such a complex disease and such yeah. a, a complex uh, the the large mammal such as human is so complex in terms of the interplay between drugs and perioperative factors and um, oncological outcomes it, it can be quite difficult to uh, pin down a single or a number of interventions it's it's like it, it's potentially likely that um, that work bringing various interventions together may have improved outcomes. However, the number needed to treat is probably going to remain pretty high. Yep. The, Having said that, a lot of traditional cancer uh, therapies are in the similar sort of realm, aren't they? That's it, yeah. yeah. But we, I suppose, the there's so many different factors at the time of anesthesia, such as the type of surgery, the type of cancer. It's, it's unlikely that one size fits all that today's talk will be a sort of a one-size-fits-all for looking after patients in general who have cancer but it's unlikely that in reality given the heterogeneity of the disease that this will that that the one-size-fits-all that i'm going to talk about will actually affect every type of tumor yeah okay that's great all right so hopefully we just sort of raise everyone's interest in this and uh, there's a there's a lot more to this than we can ever do in a short podcast but um your talk you gave us the other day where you talked about the 10 sort of commandments of oncoanesthesia was how you how you phrase it which just i guess was a nice way of sort of touching on um lots of the different sort of interesting uh, concepts 
Um, so I wondered if we could perhaps just go through those and um, hopefully we'll pique the interest of anyone who's listening there to look into this in more detail if they, f if they find it interesting. Yeah. What's so, the first one, Mark? Well, so just in just before I start, it's, yep. it's, it, it's sort of like the ERAS. It's, it's unlikely any one of these single interventions, yep. but as a package, potentially we could improve outcomes. And as mentioned, the number needed to treat may, may be very high. So the first one is to use regional anesthesia if possible. So the original thought um, in the 2006 Professor Buggy's paper was that just by the regional anesthesia itself may offset the, the, the chances of pr tumor progression. However, this may not necessarily be true. The, it, we do, we know or are close to knowing that improving analgesia is very likely to improve outcomes in surgery. You're offsetting the sympathetic nervous system. Um, you're avoiding other drugs which potentially could promote cancer metastasis. So regional anesthesia, when performed well, hopefully we'll have a more, pa more comfortable patient who can potentially get up and about earlier and can have overall better quality of recovery. However, the regional block itself may not necessarily be what is um, inhibiting progression. Another side of it, the, the amide local anesthetic may have a role. So having yep. that on board somewhere, even in low systemic levels, may have improved outcomes. Okay. <clears throat> are, we gonna, are you going to talk about intravenous lignocaine somewhere else? Or? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, another, um, another uh, drug class thought to be of benefit is the, um, the non-steroidals. Yep. In epidemiological studies, they've been shown to be protective to nu numerous types of tumours, including bowel tumours. Yes, yeah, and, I've heard of that. And, uh, and aspirin has lots of other um, known cardiovascular side effects and other benefit effects, and it's potentially protective. Again, as I mentioned, a single, a single intervention during a cancer inpatient um, scenario may have a low chance of actually improving outcomes. However, their chronic use in s selected patients, again, on steroidals are the number needed to harm is not terribly high, unfortunately, either. So yeah. we do need to select our patients and and they they can cause harm in, in, in certain patients. So if there was a contraindication, I wouldn't disregard that for its oncological benefits. Yeah, that's right. So I certainly would get like someone having a yeah, really big laparotomy where there's lots of fluid shifts and you're worried about uh, an acute kidney injury, I'd be a bit reluctant to yeah, like yeah. expose someone to those drugs and certainly in the first few days. But Yeah, however, corollary to that, you'd, you'd be unlikely to start their aspirin as well. For, for Correct, surgery. yeah, that's so, true. Yep. Um, I think we often forget that that's one of our uh, toxin inhibitors and yep. it potentially will show, the, show these effects. Okay, and can you maybe elaborate, because maybe I'm not sure whether the listeners have quite figured out, so exactly how is it that some of these things we're discussing could actually change uh, tumour progression? Because tumour cells, just tell me a little bit, tumour cells have lots of um, receptors and things mm, on them, yeah. don't they? So, so a lot of these things are either through the our influence on the immune system or direct sort of interactions with receptors on tumour cells, is that... Is that the thought to be the mechanism by which some of these things occur? Yeah, there are many, many tumours, again, a very hetero, uh, heterogen, heterogeneous, heterogeneous um, <laughs> disease, but a lot of tumour cells exhibit uh, receptors 
and ion channels, much like any other cell in our body. And yeah. a lot of the drugs that we use as anesthetists have effects on these um, receptors and channels. So, for example, there are sodium channels, which we know um, lignocaine may, may act on. Um, and there's also uh, further down the cascade in terms of the pro-oncological mechanism, such as the CERC um, mechanism, which is intracellular. We've seen on in vitro work that... Um, certain anesthetic agents and perioperative agents can upregulate and downregulate these things. So, on a subcellular level, yep. we, we've seen these. Also, um, there is def- there is a complex interplay with the immune system. Yes. Um, propofol, for example, which we'll touch on, is thought to have a minimal impact on inhibiting the immune system. A frequent cell, which we encounter in a lot of this research, is the natural killer cell. We want to um, hopefully maintain its its protective um, effects throughout the perioperative course. And it's thought that a lot of these interventions have uh, do play on the immune um, on the immune system. However, some of the animal work has been done in, if you can imagine, a non-immune scenario. So mm-hmm. an example of this would be when a human tumor cell is put in a in a in a mouse, you have to have an immunosuppressed mouse to tolerate that tumor cell. Yes. Otherwise, yeah. it would just be killed straight off. So this it's called a xenograft model. Right. And for example, there is xenograft evidence that lignocaine can directly inhibit tumor growth and also have a synergistic effect with. Um, with chemo, traditional chemotherapy when given together. So this would suggest uh, non-immune functions as well. Okay. However, there is also effects on different cytokines which are a good marker for immune function as well. So there is a chance that the medicines we give act not just on a single receptor, but on uh, subcellular apparatus and also potentially on the the body so the, on the the host or the the immune system and also on the cell as well interesting so, yeah okay so we'll go on to talk about um so volatile anesthesia is has been implicated as potentially not being beneficial in the in the cancer setting again it's what most of us reach to for most of our anesthesia but there is probably increased appetite lately um for for numerous reasons to start to favor intravenous anesthesia and the oncological community will probably reflect this in terms of the likely that propofol is not doing harm it may have intrinsic benefit effects but by avoiding the volatiles and their potential effects on the immune system and also their act yeah so they're the act and the interplay they have with with white cells it could be a good idea to um use propofol in this situation yeah and so i guess uh do you mind if we just sort of clarify that there haven't been any sort of level one human data yet but there's a lot of concerning sort of lower levels of evidence that that it may be a a problem that's it certainly people shouldn't jump out there and say that you have to change to using propofol tiva-based anesthetic for cancer surgery because yeah it hasn't been proven yeah 
there is uh, most of the work that's been done in this field is retrospective. Yeah. Um, some people have published quite um, convincing hazard ratios. I think Wigmore et al. in anesthesiology in 2016. Yeah, I've read that. Um, report a hazard ratio of 1.46 for tumor progression with volatile over over propofol i think it's i don't think any of these interventions is going to have that kind of effect to be honest it, it i think that's potentially artifactual but these signals and again we don't have any level one data yes. anything that i'm going to say it today so I, I i'm reluctant to use the word evidence at any stage today because i'd, I'd be more like to say data in in any of these points okay, for a start point. yep. so the there is data developing however there is a trial um the vapor c trial will hopefully we'll talk about that towards the end i think okay, that, that will hopefully be my questions. The, the major <laughs> one on on putting this to bed um again the so a, a topic that i've looked at a lot is what what endpoints to look at in yeah. in cancer research it's it's quite easy to well not it's, it's a lot easier than humans to do this in in small animals because the progression so quick and they're so um homogenous with each other we can we can have the same the same disease in the same animal or genetically identical animal we can do that 80 or 100 times with with um limited uh, difficulty in the human setting all tumors are different and we yep. we need to um, have quite well defined endpoints to work towards and so a good example of this is prostate cancer when we do a prostatectomy we have a, a really good biomarker is the psa and so if you get psa two years after you've had your prostate out that's that's a bad thing there's no no other organ in the body that can produce that except for your prostate or prostate uh, tumors that have, yep. that have spread however most tumors don't have a specific thing like this so yeah. okay so having a biomarker outcome is potentially valid in prostate cancer but not valid in many other tumors so we need to be quite specific with our endpoints when we're designing trials the other the other thing you could do is just include a certain types of cancer so have a, a quite um, homogeneous type of tumor however that limits the um the translation is yeah. the generalizability exactly into into looking at cancer in general yeah. so this area again outcomes are frequently quite good so follow-up times need to be really long which is another challenge in this so that's right that's why it takes a long time to get this evidence isn't it because you have to wait yeah. years to, to see what happens exactly exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. so some people would advocate towards registry type evidence which again has its own issues but it can be ve can be very large and can look at different factors and uh, sidesteps sidestep some of the difficulties in in RCT uh, development and some of the expense and you can have vast numbers in in the registries mm. and cancer is probably ahead of the curve in terms of registries in general um but for level one evidence, obviously we need to do an, an RCT or, or numerous RCTs. So we'll get back to um, our 10 commandments. I'm, I can't remember which one we got to. I'll, uh, well, we did talk about propofol and volatiles. So yeah. where are we up to? 
We, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the number is. Just keep going. So we've, you, number we've four. spoken oh, number we're four. Talking a lot, aren't we? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so we're talking about um, blood products. So I think, Roger, you're probably the man to talk about blood products well, more I, than I am. I'm not really sort of... Uh, I have read about this. So there is an association, like all these things you're going to talk about, between um, receiving a allogeneic blood transfusion mm. at the time of your cancer resection and having a worse outcome. Yeah. But it's, once again, it's association. But we all, we do know, you know from lots of data and evidence that receiving allogeneic blood does affect your immune system mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. so it makes sort of biological sense that it's possible that it could this could be a true cause and effect relationship but it hasn't proven just like you said there's a data yeah. there's associative data yeah that having yeah. blood products at the time of cancer surgery is not a good thing yeah so i think immunomodulation is a term thrown out a yeah, lot that's right and it can go in both <clears throat> directions so yeah, in a right. good way and a bad way so yeah again i i'm not an immunologist and i usually fairly perplexed by most yeah. aspects of this so i think yeah. yeah so i guess the take home is to be cautious and only use it if uh, to only transfuse people where you think there's a good indication exactly and hopefully prime them before surgery to, to yeah that's right and optimizing them prior to surgery uh, which i think uh, a lot of places do try and do for all types of surgery but especially if you're having a big cancer surgery yeah uh, you know, for example, turning up to a major operation anemic when you could have had an iron infusion exactly four yeah. weeks earlier. Yeah, because um, a lot of cancers are involved with blood loss, aren't they? Mm, Bowel exactly, cancer, yeah. that's a um, classic. Yeah, but, uh, there's a lot of uh, now sphere um, gynecological cancers too, like endometrial yeah. cancer. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, that's yeah. something that you can improve, and maybe we can make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. So the the next command would be the um, to hopefully undertake minimally invasive surgery so there's there's numerous advantages to this obviously there is um, frequently less pain associated there is less of a stress response yep. the, um, it potentially w- will be less if the tumor itself is agitated or touched less or handled less prior to excision we hopefully would have less circulating tumor cells just to go reflect back on my time in UCD or University College Dublin and we, we um, were using a, the mouse model to, uh, to, to briefly talk about it. We would inject in mouse tumour cells, in, mouse breast tumour cells into the breast area of, of mice. They'd develop a breast cancer, we'd perform mastectomies on them and then we'd examine the lungs uh, two weeks later for evidence of metastasis and we could also look at um, blood markers and things like that as well mm-hmm. however if at any stage when you're injecting the 25 microliters of, of cells that we were injecting if you're if you're the tip of your needle slipped or if it went into the peritoneum or anything at all you had a whole set of new tumors and if it, if it hit the liver like we're, we're talking millimeters off um, yeah. or if you're to sneeze or something you the, the um, <laughs> The tip of your needle, if it went anywhere, and even if you inject a little bit on your web, you had new tumours. So I'm always, in any situation, I'm always surprised there isn't more cancer just from the patient, from the operators touching the cancer area, that having touched the tumour and touched elsewhere and it have been close to instruments, that we don't have like direct tumor, so, yeah. I yeah. think we were dealing with a particularly virulent tumour. However, it just gave me real respect for cancer in general and how important clear margins and that kind of thing are and yeah. isolating the tumor early and excising in one clean block and not not seeding the tumor or having bits of it 
left behind or touching yeah. touching yeah. places. Which I think interesting. So hopefully, I think surgery in general is going towards minimally invasive, and then as they in the in the era of robotic surgery comes on, hopefully this will be um, progressed even more and will potentially um, improve outcome. Thanks, Mark, for what has been very interesting. Um, part one in the series of Onchoanesthesia. Um, and to all the listeners out there, please uh, join us again uh, on the next podcast where we're going to delve into some more uh, interesting topics including um, opioids, lignocaine, local anaesthetics, um, steroids, clonidine and, uh, and a few other really fascinating um, topics. See you again soon. Thanks for listening everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.opsandgynecritcare.org where there will be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time.